Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Smartcast, our fantastic sponsors, Arabian Business, gosh there's so many of them now, and Najahi. More about all of these fantastic sponsors later. Now for today's guest, CEO and founder of Wealth Dragons, also the best-selling author of The Wealth Dragon Way. Think about him, worked it out yet? He began investing in property in his early 20s. By the time he was 27, he'd achieved his goal of becoming a self-made millionaire. Does that give you any more clues? His success came despite a humble start in life. He was born to Chinese parents who ran a takeaway restaurant in the north of England. Worked it out yet? All of his achievements came as the result of endless hard work and unwavering tenacity. Today, he's dedicated to showing others how they can do the same and achieve the kind of success they thought they could only ever dream of. He speaks around the globe on topics of property investment, business growth, entrepreneurship. In fact, he's even shared the stage with Bill Clinton, Sir Alan Sugar and Sir Richard Branson. Have you worked it out yet? <laughs> Let's welcome onto the show a good friend of mine, okay, and a real, real superstar in the world of social media, Mr. John Lee. Cue the music. Thanks for coming to join me on the podcast. It's always a pleasure. Brother. We had dinner the other night. Was just like, we sat chatting for like the best part, I don't know, three hours the other night. And it's like everything that I was going to talk to you about today, I've already talked to you about. So this is going to be a really short podcast. <laughs> for 10 minutes. It's just a summary. Yeah. Just summary. <laughs> so what I want everyone to understand, uh, obviously I know you, but what I want everyone to understand that listens and watches the podcast is, is people know your name, but I don't think they really know who you are. <laughs> and that uh, you, you have a a stage presence mm -hmm. and you're this larger than life character and full of energy and you know when the people following you online they can just see this really energetic smart guy but, but who is John Lee? So if you'd asked me that 15-20 years ago I would have said no I'm an investor I'm a property investor but as I started to go through the journey of entrepreneurship I realized that people want to learn new things you know there's this phrase I always and it's been embedded deep in my subconscious. It's like the more you learn, the more you earn. And so for me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of life. I'm a student because they, they always say that, you know, every master was once a disaster. Right. So I'm always learning new things. So for me, I'm, I, I tend to learn a lot of the things, business, entrepreneurship, social, more recently about private equity and uh, investments, social media, uh, and also the power of branding and the whole digital asset space is kind of what I'm getting into. So for me, it's, it's, if you ask me who I am, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a student of all these amazing things that are happening in the world right now. And I really, when I get my teeth stuck in something, I want to really master that process and know all the ins and outs and really learn things at a very deep level. Where does that come from, though? Do, do, you have a, do you have a mum or a dad that were entrepreneurs or forever learners? Is there some influence in your life when you were really long, young, sorry, something that caused that for you? You know, <laughs> tell you a story. So my background, I used to be an animator, right? And so when all my friends were going out partying, I said to myself, I've got to do something that I think, you know, is going to be worthwhile. And one of the first films I saw was a film called Terminator 2 familiar with that yeah and the one before that was Toy Story and I thought you know I really want to get into the film industry but the film industry is very it's one of these industries that you like there's no I mean at the time there was no degrees there's nothing it's like how do you do it 
So I remember my uncle James, he was like kind of into this computer stuff, like, you know, 3D. In the olden days, it was really old school. And he gave me this book, and it was about that thick. And it was, it was called Lightwave. I'm like, okay, let me look at this. And at the time, I didn't know I was dyslexic, right? So I was reading this book, and all this technical stuff. I'm like, I don't understand this stuff. Like, what is this? And so I started going through it. And then at the time, he, you know, he said, look, if you want to start this stuff, you need to have a, a, a computer, you know, I think, well, that was about an Amiga 500. Remember the Amiga 500s? <laughs> I'm sure my age now. Is that actually now. a computer? <laughs> I'm sure my age now. So he installed this, this piece of software and I started using it. I started seeing how everything worked. And then he said, look, if you want a real computer, you need a Mac. So I convinced my mom to buy me a, a Mac. It was like a you know, secondhand one. So every day for at least a year by myself, I was going through this thing. I was learning how to make a cube, learning how to make a triangle, learning how to, how to create all these different 3D objects. And so that's how I got into, this, into the whole film industry. That's, that's where I guess the learning part came into this because you know, when I was a kid, I was always working my mom's Chinese takeaway. And so the way Asian parents are, it's, hey, you know, you either become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, or you work in a Chinese take when you take over the family business. I'm like, I don't want to do any of that, right? And I, and I was a dishwasher, so I, I kept washing the walks and washing the dishes, you know, for my mom's Chinese takeaway. And I thought, I don't want to do this. I want to do something different. And then that's when I realized that you need to learn new things in order to get new results. You want to change the strategy, yeah. right? In order to get new results. And so that I kind of, that's, that's where it, I've always been a, I've always been a self learner. Like, if I don't know something, I'll go and find out how to do it. Which is why when you ask me who is me, that's my, that, you know, my number one value is you need to always be learning. Like, you always need to be, because growth, growth mindset. You always got to be growing, learning new things, reading books, mentors, coaches. Because, I mean, when you and I sat down, you were teaching me some stuff about this investment. I was like, wow, that's incredible. So, if we didn't have that conversation, I would never know that that exists. So, it's always about learning new things and being the best. People always want to be the best. Right? It's not about being the best. It's about being your best at what you do. Mm, I agree. So, it's, it's, when you said you wanted to do something different though, for me, working in mum and dad's Chinese takeaway, want to do something different. There's a million different directions you could have headed in, but animation was something that you were really into. And is that because you were into anime or superheroes or Marvel? Did mm. you read comics as a kid? What, what was it that really pushed you in that path? I was fascinated, like when I saw Terminator 2 and I saw, you know, the T-1000 can do this liquid metal stuff, I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Like, how can it look so real? Like, how do they do, how do they, because back then, I mean, special effects now, you know, everything's possible, but you're looking, you know, in, in, in the 90s, like how, how is that even possible? So I do a lot of research on that. And I remember buying this book, and it was called Industrial Light and Magic. Right? It's a big, thick book. It's all about the company that created it. And it was expensive. I couldn't afford it, but it was like, like 100 pounds for a book. And as I was going through, I started seeing like how they put this, they'd take the characters, they'd put mesh on them. They would start drawing on them. They would, input, they would sculpt their face into the computer. They would manipulate. I just found it fascinating. Fascinating to create something from nothing that can entertain people when they watch it. it. It takes something that's unimaginable and makes it real. It's interesting though because I've had Peng Joon and I've had Jim Quick and there seems to be between the three of you there's this this sort of connection with that part of the movie industry mm. in some way. 
I know that, that Penn collects, you know, the... the I was at his house the other day. He's got yeah, all that stuff. Oh, you got more than that. I thought I had, I thought I had a lot of Marvel stuff. <laughs> and so it's so interesting to see how you're all interested. Okay, so you've, okay, so you've chosen an area and you got fascinated by mm. it. What, what stopped you building a career in that area? What, what stopped you saying to yourself, you know what, this is what I love to do. Mm. I'm going to build a business in that area. I'm going to go and work for an organisation and build my career through the corporate ladder. Well, so I, I actually did all right. I, was, I went to university in Hull and got a degree in, in animation. It was the first, which was, I was actually surprised myself <laughs> that I actually got that. So I'm actually glad I didn't do that well at school academically. So I thought, what can I do that doesn't require academic? So art, even though I wasn't good at it, I thought, let's do it. But I had a passion. I was fascinated with, with, with how it works. So I, when I graduated, I got a job in a place called Lionhead, which they made a game called Black, Black and White, which was, you know, a top, you know, if you're in that industry, like, you know that, what that game is. And then from there, and because Lionhead, you know, they had competitors in the same industry, then I worked for a company called, called, called Criterion. Criterion was basically owned by EA Games. Yeah. So I started working in that industry and then something happened in that business which was, you know, not good. Um, you know, I was, I don't know if you've been in one of those jobs where it's like office politics. You get good at what you do, your boss gets a little bit, bit narky. And then they try to push you out, out of the company. So it kind of got like that. And I remember my boss sitting down and he's literally in a room like this. And he said, you know, John, I don't think your work is up to scratch. You know, you're not pulling your weight. And I just, I just burst out into tears, Spencer. And I was like, what do you mean? I put my heart and soul into this. This is my, this is my life. And so I remember walking out and saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this. This is, it's, it's not for me. So um, my friend who I went to university with, his name's Darren, um, he was working at a place called Framestore. They do all those special effects now for all the Marvel movies, um, Harry Potter in, 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 the, in, in the early days. All the big films you see, you know, they're part of that. And again, McCorn, I said, look, this has happened. Like, yeah, I'll have any jobs going. <laughs> So eventually, I, he got me an interview, and I and I got a job at, at Framestore, and I worked there for a number of years. And it was great. I mean, like working for one of the most prestigious companies in the world in in the special effects and visual effects space. And I was like, but every day, like I would commute every day from you know Surrey a place. I live quite near Guildford, mm -hmm. so Guildford to. At Waterloo train station would take about 45, half, half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. From Waterloo train station over the Millennium Bridge to Wardell Street would take another 23 minutes. Mm -hmm. So every day I would be commuting about three hours a day, wow. door to door. And of course in the film industry, you don't finish at five. No. <laughs> finish when you're done. Your director comes, mm, is that done yet? Mm, no, okay, carry on. <laughs> or you're about to leave, director comes, you do a, you know, a, a, a viewing oh, that part's not right, change it. But changing it means to change the whole thing. You know, it's not just, oh, I can't just delete it, and then, like, you've got to change the whole thing. People watching this know what animation's about, 24 frames per second, right? So, you know, we'd finish late, and we'd have to have dinner then, and it just, it wasn't a life, Spencer. It wasn't, it, it felt like, I was, I was on a decent salary, 36,000 pounds. Decent, it's decent. Yeah. You no, know, it's not, you know. How long ago was that? What year was that? <sighs> this was when I was 23, 22, 23, around that. Around that time, so. How long ago was that? <laughs> trying to get my age though. <laughs> About 20, o over 20 years ago. <laughs> okay, well that was a decent yeah. salary then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Decent yeah. salary back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but, I, but so, ev so as I was doing this, I noticed that I really enjoyed what I did, but it became a chore. So my passion started to turn into a, a chore. Like, oh, I got to do this. Like, it, 
Like, and I was also working on things that I didn't want to work on. Like, I'm like on this TV show, I'm going to animate this hand. Oh, I don't want to do that. I want to animate a character. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to do some, like, but sometimes you're going to do the things you don't want to do to get the things that you do want to do. Mm-hmm. So as I started to experience that, I just, it wasn't, I, I, was, I was just existing, but I wasn't living. Yeah. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So my friend, one, and I kept complaining to my friend, Darren, complaining, complaining, complaining. And one day he gave me a book. And the book was called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Which I'm sure you're familiar with, right? Of course, yeah. So I read this book, and you know I'm dyslexic, so but I read this book cover to cover. Like I was like, there's no, there's no way this exists. There's no way this can be real. So I started to explore with my learning mindset, right? So in the book it talks about, hey, if you want to make money, you need to make money from real estate, assets. You need to have assets. So I go online. Okay, what's a good asset? I tell them, what's a good asset? Oh, property. How to get an asset from property? Enter. I get all these things that come up. I'm looking, I'm like, hmm. Click, click, click. And it just sounds so unreal. Like, oh, you can make a $1,000 a month from rent. I'm like, wait a minute, that's half my salary. <laughs> or you can make, or, or I was listening to a podcast and you can make your entire salary in just one shot. I'm like, there's, there's no way that's possible. So as I started to research, I started to discover this whole new world, as you and I was talking about the other day. This whole, this, like, it's, it's like an opened Pandora's box. Yeah. And the more I started to explore, the more I started to find real people doing this, the more I started to find, wow, this is possible. The more I started to see live examples of this. And so that's what happened in my job of, of what led me, because I didn't, want, I didn't want to go through that office politics situation again. And also, you know, even I was on 36,000, like, you're living in London, like, you just, well, I couldn't afford to live in London for a start, so I had to commute every day. But, you know, my, my, I'd get two grand a month, roughly. My cost would be 1,200, you, you know, you're, at the time I wasn't owning property, I was renting, I had a car, you know, student debts and things like that. 12, I had an 800 pound left. 800, the, the train ticket to London was 3,500 per, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so. How like, could you ever save, yeah. So I was just, I was making ends meet, even though I was on 36,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. I just made enough to get by. So that was also another reason why I thought there's gotta be more to that than this, right? Cause it took me, so when I started when I graduated from university, it was 21,000, then 26,000, then 36,000. And I was working for a couple, like two, like two or three years. Eventually, eventually I got my dream role of character animator, right? For a film called Despero. Right, I don't even, you can watch the film, but I didn't, I didn't work on that. But I got that role to become an animator, to animate that character. And I got, um, and, and, and interesting, because at the time I got that, but my salary was still the same, I got another job offer for a company called MPC, Moving Picture Company. They okay. do all the like, Gladiator, all the other big films. And that was at 60,000. Wow. 60,000, I'm like, whoa. Big money. Well, yeah, I mean, in your mind, yeah, in mind, yeah, yeah, I was like, like, yeah. So thirty-six to to six thousand, hmm. and I was doing the calculations. I thought, wait a minute, that's only an extra two thousand dollars, uh, two thousand pounds per month, right? It worked up because every thousand pound raise you get mm-hmm. after tax, it's only fifty pounds extra in your bank account. And then I didn't have enough time as it is anyway, so more responsibility, right? Longer hours. We I hated working at weekends because. As a kid, I'd always have to work weekends in my mum's parents' parent Chinese takeaway. Ah, right? yeah. So I never, all my friends would be partying, all the birthday parties, I'd always have to miss them. Because I'd be working weekends in my mum's Chinese takeaway. 
So to do that, I thought, no, I can't do that. I have to do something else. And that's when I made the decision. <laughs> I, said, I remember the day, because um, every lunchtime, uh, Darren and I would, in, in the building, there's like a cafeteria, so we sit down, and I always sit next to the phone. Because on the phone, I'd always be like doing phone calls to, you know, oh, any deals going, because I, I wanted to learn how to get a property. And he said, when, when are you going to like make the lead? I said, I don't know. And that day, I, you know when you leave a company, you write an email saying, oh, thank you so much, everybody. You know, evening drinks here. And I just, I wrote the email, and I was like, do I send this or do I not? I'm like, and, I, and, and bear in mind, I just finished a meeting with the person who gave me the role for lead, not lead, it was like a, to, to animate the lead character on, yeah. on, on, the, on, this, on this movie. I'm like, <sighs> I was shaking. I was sweating down, and just like, F it, bang, right? And I just sent it, and then two seconds later, da ding, bang, oh my God, what, what, what the hell, like, because like, I didn't tell anyone I was leaving, I didn't, I didn't even tell the person, I was like, I said, I'm leaving. I just made the decision. <laughs> so the person calls me because I said, did we have this conversation that you're gonna, yeah, yeah, but I've decided to leave. And I, I didn't tell them why. I just, you know, I said, oh, this is too much, too much. But really the reason I was leaving is because I was relying too much on a salary, right? I, I needed something where I could, in Chinese we call break the boat. So you're gonna break your boat so you have no other opportunity but to succeed. If you're in the ocean and I wanna get to the island, if I break my boat, I have to swim there, all right? So this was kind of the mindset of how and, and why I, I left that whole industry. So property then became this thing that you were fascinated by. Do you remember the first property you bought? Yeah. Tell me where it was, what it was, what was the deal? So, um, so Darren and I, um, so I was still in a job at the time. So it, it wasn't like a, like a hard, like I wanted to get you know, at least some sort of, sort of results first. Yeah. So it was a property in Manchester, right? And these new flats, uh, quite, quite into Old Trafford. And they're on the market about 125, but I was picking up. So one thing I learned by you know, reading these books, attending courses, is that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. Right? A lot of people, they buy at the full price and then they try and refurbish it, spend money on them, try and force the appreciation. It doesn't work like that. You want to make the money when you buy it. So I thought, wow, 124, but it's, I think it was like 91, 92,000, something like that. So I thought, that's quite a good margin there. That's like 30 grand margin. And that's my, almost my salary, right? So I said to Darren, I said, let's go and check this place out. So during our lunch break, I said, so we jumped on the tube and then we went to these, these, like, these were like new build properties. And you know, the reason I got this deal because I was at one of these networking events where someone had already bought one and they told me about it. Okay. And so I said, okay, let's, um, let's check this out. So we, we were so excited. I'm like, oh God, it's gonna be like this. I'm gonna, we're gonna be millionaires. And, and we went there and it was just like shabby office. And I'm like, it looks a bit dodgy. Like literally like, it was horrible. And we went in and there was just this guy and the place stunk. It was like really stunk. B.O. is horrible. And I looked at Darren, Darren looked at me and, and he said, so, do you want to do this deal? I'm like, um, how much do I put? Uh, yeah, 10 grand. Like, <laughs> thanks. I didn't have 10 grand at the time, but at the time we had these things called egg cards. Remember the egg cards? Yeah. Yeah, where they give you like 10 grand limit. So, yeah, you know, a credit card. Yeah, a credit yeah, card. I remember those. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They give you a massive limit, don't they? Yeah, they did. They gave you a massive yeah, limit. Yeah, so I'm like, um, okay. And I, I remember handing my card over and like thinking, am I being scammed here? Mm-hmm. Part of me was like, just walk out. Part of me was like, okay, if you get scammed, you get scammed. <laughs> right? Because I, I didn't know anything at the time. So anyway, it took a year 
every day I was calling, hey, it's deal, hey, what's going on the deal? Like, I didn't hear anything. I was like, okay, I've just lost 10 grand. And then eventually, oh, but you get this letter, you've completed on the deal. Like, because you have to do all your due diligence, all your yeah. KYCs, everything up front. And we'd got this deal, right? This is first deal, um, a place called Millennium House in Manchester, right next to um, Old Trafford, and I'm like, and do you know the rent on that? So at the time, so it's it's it two bed, you know, standard, box standard, two bed. And the rental on that was about 850, right? So the way, price are way higher than that now, which reminds me I should increase the rentals on that. <laughs> um, but the mortgage on that was like 400, 425 pounds. So I was making 400 profit minus the insurance and things like that. So it's 400 pounds, that's, that's equivalent to a, what, uh, two, four, 6,000 pay rise. Per, like, so I started seeing like that and I thought, wait a minute, I buy this and I don't have to do anything. And renting it out, okay, I've got to fix it up a few times. But what I didn't realize is that, you know, over, I've had that property for, for over 20 years now. So you just see it's doing this, it's growing in value. I don't have to do anything. So, so it's paying in income and it's appreciating. Correct. Mm -hmm. And that's the only asset that I knew above back then where you could buy something, let someone else pay your rent, you, you keep the surplus and then you let the, what we call capital appreciation or intrinsic value yeah. increase. Because I'd already bought it at a discount anyway, because there's two risks in real estate, right? Property prices crash, interest rates go up. Mm -hmm. So as long as it's still cash flowing, what do you care? Mm -hmm. So that exactly. was the first. That was, one yeah, of was the first one you bought. So you, you're sitting there thinking, "Oh my God, I'm a, you know, I've been stitched up." I remember, up. The, I remember the, the first three very, very vividly, very vividly. But I, st I still remember it. Like, well, I say vividly. I still remember a lot of the details because like, you can tend to remember. So that was one of them. The other one was in Aldershot, and the other one was in Camberley. Wow. So Aldershot, yeah. Camberley, and Manchester. Mm. So. You've, you've resigned, you've pressed that button, you're like, oh man, what have I done? Okay, but you now got to go for it. Hmm. And so what, what was your plan? Was your plan at that moment to build a property empire? Was that in your mind? You know, I'm going to be the buy-to-let king or stuff like that? Well, at the time I thought, if I can just make an extra, because, you know, the salary of 36,000 is about, about 2,300 back then. So I thought, if I can just make an extra 2,000 you know, 2, to 3,000 a month, because I thought, that's making me 400. I just need another three or four and then I'm, I don't have to work anymore. But it's interesting because when you become financially free, you're like, well, what do I do with my time now? Yeah. Right? Well, what are like, you twiddling your fingers? Like, now what? So the plan was actually to just get a few properties, rent it out, and just don't, never work. <laughs> never work, which is quite ironic now because I work harder than ever than I did back then in a job. You know, so yes, that, I can understand the mindset of that though, because when you when, that's your ambition, isn't it, to yeah. become financially independent? But yeah. when you get there, it's like now, now what do I do with yeah. myself? Yeah. So, 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 did you go through a period of thinking, what on earth am I going to do, or did it come pretty quickly to you? It was I was finding my feet because everyone around me didn't understand what I was doing. It's like, why are you not working? I thought I'm doing this this property thing. How does that work? Like, how, how are you going to have the money to buy this property? Like, have you got? I said, I don't have any money either. He said, well, how are you going to buy this property? So then I started to figure out, and this is where education comes in. This is where, you know, that whole learning mindset when I was, you know, in my teenage years, learning about these computers, learning about the 3D. And I always analyze things and I kind of break it apart. Yeah. And I see how it's been constructed. So when I looked at the pieces of real estate, it's actually quite simple. Find a deal, finance the deal, and rent it out. That's it. That's all you have to do. Right? So, my first, so my first methodology was, okay, let's get the first part sorted first. 
So I would go out to networking events, I would attend all these, and it's interesting because one of these networking events I went to, I saw one of my friends, Bao there, he was another animator. I was like, what are you doing here? So, oh, I wanna buy property. I said, have you got a lot of money? No, 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 but this guy says you can buy property without using any money. And so we started speaking, talking about this. So anyway, he ends up being building a portfolio and we ended up becoming really good friends after that. So the key here, is for me to go out and find these deals. That's the thing, because one of my teachers said to me, said, John, don't worry about the money. I said, what do you mean? I said, what if I find this deal and then I can't finance it? He says, well, if you find the deal, the money will find you. Isn't that amazing? Profound, isn't right? it? When you find the deal, the money will find you. And I never really understood what that mean until the second deal, older shop. Cut a long story short, right? Because I could talk about this for a long time, the intricacies of what happened. But to cut a long story short, I was sat in one of these seminars and I was sat next to a lady called um, Julia and I heard this guy talking about, oh, you can find deals, BNV. I said, what does that mean? He said, below market value. And I kept thinking to myself, why would anyone on earth give you a 50,000 pound discount off the property? I didn't believe it. Yeah. I did not believe it. And she said, well, there's a number of reasons, you know, people get divorced, people, um, you know, they, 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 they get inherited property, they just want money quick, or maybe they've become an accidental landlord and they don't want that responsibility. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's shake hands with that. Let's do a deal. When you get a deal, give it to me. When I get a deal, I give it to you. And so two weeks later, I get a phone call from Julia. Hey, we've got a deal on Oldershot. Oldershot, at the time, you're like, well, really snobby. I don't want to buy a property there. And then what I learned was, that it's not about the area, it's about the deal. So I thought, okay, let's check it out. So we went there, and I'll tell you Spencer, it was horrible. It was like, you wouldn't let your dog live in this property. <laughs> it was disgusting. It was like the dog would urinate in the like, corners of the room. It stunk it, you know what? Yeah. And, and like the stairs had no banisters. There was like water dripping down the side of the wall with like, you know, the electric sense of place. It was horrible. And I said, this is worth 180, there's no way. So we did the research, because I, I got taught, how, how do you find out the true value of a property? So I learned that, there's a website you can go online, you can do comparisons, you do your due diligence. And I found out actually this property, in its current condition was about 140. At the peak condition about 182, 185. So we made an offer. One lesson I was taught, in these courses, and these books, and all these negotiation things I read is, you know this, because you know, you're amazing at sales, right? Is Ask anyway, the worst I can say is no. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I'm just gonna put an offer in. So my business partner and I, we sat in the car, and I'll never forget this. We're speaking to the person, oh, we've just viewed the property. We start talking, talking, she's on speakerphone. And she says, well, so how much are you gonna offer me for the property? I said, I looked at my business partner, business partner, and said, I don't know, 85? Phone went quiet. It, uh, it, the silence sounded, it, it felt like a lifetime. And then she just went, <sighs> okay. I looked up, business was like that. And then we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we had another problem. We don't have 85,000 pounds, <laughs> right? <laughs> so we learned from, if you find the deal, the money will find you. So we started going to these networking events. So they say that your network is your network. Yep. You hang around people who have money, then you'll get the money, yep. right? You go to where the money is, and you know, you, you and I were talking about this the other day. Yeah. So, okay, let's find a place where all the property investors hang out. So we found them and it was like, hey, you got 85,000, you got 85,000, you got 85,000. Everyone was saying no. And what I realized is not they didn't have the money, it's because we were pitching it wrong. Because mm. I had another mentor, and this is another story, a side story on this. During this journey, I got a mentor, his name was Jing Tan. 
who actually just exited from a company, multiple, multiple seven figures. To get coaching mentioned from him, cost 10,000 pounds for two days. I didn't even have 10,000 pounds, so I thought, you know what? I'm gonna sell my car. <laughs> so I remember sitting there in my kitchen and just looking, how am I gonna get this money? I just saw the hood of the car, it's convertible. I said, I'm gonna sell my car. And I sold it for 15,000, 15 grand. And I gave him 10,000 of it for two days. And, and one of the lessons he taught me was, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And he taught me this, this concept I'll never forget. This has like been probably one of the most valuable lessons of my entire career, is W-I-F-T, WIFT. What's in it for them? Uh, What's in it for them? And he said, do this. And I went back and I started asking people, hey, I said, hey, so I changed it now. Hey, I got this deal. It's got about 100 grand's worth of equity in it. It needs about 20 grand's worth of work. Would you be interested in partnering? And then it started to bite. Mm -hmm. People started asking questions. Oh, where is it? How much is the rent? What's the current condition? Um, have you bought the property yet? So they started, and that's when I realized, oh, this is working. Eventually, I found a lady called Karen, and she put me in touch with, she didn't have the money, so she put me in touch with a lady called Shirley, and she was a multi-millionaire, and she's the one that gave me the money to buy the property. Wow, well, that's how it all came together. That's all came together. We, 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 she gave me 85,000 pounds, and we sold the property in two months for 185,000, and that 100 grand became the, the seed capitals of how everything all, all started. So how many properties did you then buy, roughly, over that period? 35,000 in six months. 35 houses in six months. Yeah. So you became obsessed with it. Upset. Do you know why? Because it was a cookie cutter, it's a system, right? It's like, that was easy. Like, wait a minute, I can buy a property, I can take my money out and buy another one, I can take my money out and buy another one. It's just as long, and it's, you know how crazy this is? If anyone listening to this in the UK or watching this in the UK, like in the UK we have something called a buy to let mortgage, mm -hmm. right? And people, cause, and people don't understand this, they go, well how can you buy so many properties if you're just on 36,000 mm pounds, -hmm. right? So. With a buy to let, it's not about how much money you earn. I mean, there's a basic minimum, like yeah. 20 or grand. But it's actually calculated. This is where you have to understand the rules, right? It's calculated based on how much you can rent the property for. There's a multiple of it. Mm -hmm. So if this property can rent for this amount, the bank will give you the money. Mm -hmm. All you gotta do is find a deposit to put it in or do a creative deal. Because back then, you can't do this now, but back then, you, you know, there was a way to instantly refinance the property straight away. Mm -hmm. Right, so you could buy property, refinance it. As long as you bought it at a discount, you could refinance it. Yeah, take and now, the out and use it in the next Correct, yeah, so yeah. it's basically you're recycling your deposits. You yeah. need one deposit, you just cookie cut it. 35 in six months. Yeah. Brilliant. So then, then after, after starting to create this financial freedom for yourself and this success, how did you end up getting to a place where you wanted to teach people how to do it? Was it, was it, was it something that, that you needed to fill your time doing or was you, did you see lots of people getting things wrong or was it, sometimes when you just know something and you yeah. just know it, you know, it's, it almost becomes autopilot for yeah. you that it's so easy to get other people to understand it. So where did yeah. it all come from? It came from the passion of wanting to help people, like genuinely wanting to help people. Like, you know when you read books and you like, especially when I read Richard Porter, I tried to like, I was almost preaching to my, you need to read this book, you need to read this book, this, this, it's crazy. Like, it became an obsession to want to, like, better other people's lives because I'd not, because, you know, in the Chinese community, it's very, very um, cliquey. You know, it's very, everyone does everything the same way, you know, you become a lawyer, become a doctor, or work in a Chinese takeaway, and it, it became very, very like that. And I thought I wanted to change the mold. So I started my family first. You know, I said, look, you know, here's a book, read this book, you know, this, and it, like, it, it opened my mind to 
possibilities. You know, when you do the same thing over and over again, and you want to expect a different result, it doesn't happen, mm -hmm. right? Because you do the same thing, you get the, if I keep eating bad food, I'm gonna always be in bad shape, right? It's, it's the rules, that, that's how it works. It's, it's the laws of the universe, right? So I, I wanted to make sure that people understood what I, what I understood. Right? And you know, no one would listen to me at the start. They're like, yeah, come on, John, stop dreaming. Come on, yeah, yeah, you got lucky with that one. Yeah, yeah. The more I started to do it, and I remember the first time and I bought myself a brand new car for the first time, a brand new walker, and then going through the whole buying experience. Brand new BMW, it was a 320D BMW. I was so proud of it. <laughs> you know, 19 inch alloys, black leather seats. I remember pulling up to my family's houses, and they looked at me and was like, how can you afford to buy that car? Oh, yeah, I'm just some property stuff and then now let's start asking questions yeah right so um where are you buying properties oh you know just here there over there when what you go to a estate agents no no just you know i sourced them from the sellers well, how do you do that like where did you find the deal like, for, number one question where do you get the deals where do you get the deals where do you get the deals and so they start asking questions and so I'll tell, I'll tell you the secret, right? <laughs> so everyone goes to estate agents to try and get deals. Do you get them? Of course you do. They, 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 they've got them there. But you go to the place, if you go to an agent, the agent's number one priority is to get you, the seller, the best price. Yeah. So trying to negotiate a big discount is going to be almost next to impossible unless yeah. you have a good relationship, unless there are deals that have to be done immediately, unless they understand what you do. So to bypass that, you go straight to the source. Mm -hmm. If I go directly to you to sell your property, um, I have to gauge the level of motivation. Do you, you, do you have to sell or do you want to sell? If you want to sell, I don't buy. If you have to sell, I will buy. Mm -hmm. But it comes at a cost. Mm -hmm. It's like a car, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you want to sell your car, but you know, you, you go and give your car to like, you know, BMW, you know, it's 20% off as soon as you drive it out of the showroom, yeah, yeah. right? And so it's the same thing. So if people wanted speed, I could do it. And then I thought to myself, where is everybody like hiding? I mean, there must be lots. I mean, there are millions of people in the UK. There's got to be some people there that have to sell. Then I started to realize that the people that used to sell had a certain type of motivation. It comes down to three things. Time, they had a time urgency. Motivation, of course. Of course, or the capacity to sell. So that house that I purchased, you thought, John, you got such a big discount. Are you not like just taking advantage? No, because she had no mortgage on the property. So for her, getting 85 grand out, bang. Mm was a good deal. She wanted the cash, yeah. She wanted, but she'd already made the money on it, mm -hmm. right? So she makes the money, I come along, I make the money, and the person's bought from me now, he's not made the money, mm -hmm. you see? So it, it, you got to, so I understand, I start to understand win-wins. Uh, and so as that started to happen, Spencer, I, I realized more and more people keep asking me these questions every time. Like the more, like the more my lifestyle started to grow, the more I could have finally afford to buy a house, my own house. People come to my house and go, this is a four bedroom detached property. How are you affording to buy it? Because all my friends are renting. And I just said, oh, I'm just doing this property thing. Okay, so let's talk about these sponsors, all right? First of all, Smartcast. Have you ever heard about them? Maybe not, but they are solving the problem of food security. We are having a population that's increasing to grow over the years. And as it grows, there's less and less land able to be farmed to provide the food that's needed. Smartcast use modern food technology and security to bypass the traditional structures and by doing so enable smart farming to take place. Please go and check them out. On top of that, I'm delighted to welcome Arabian Business Partners 
to the podcast and Arabian Business is the biggest business publication here in the Middle East. So if you're watching this or listening to this now through that channel, the partnership has started. So thanks Arabian Business and all the guys at ITP. And lastly to Najahi Events, an event organizer that's run by a lady called Alpha Mustafa, who's become a really good friend of mine over the years. She brings hugely talented, motivational speakers into the Middle East to inspire, educate, and teach us all, really, how we can be better at living our lives and building our businesses. So go check each one of those out. I'd really appreciate it. So fast forward now with me and, and take me to a place where, where you decided to start teaching people how to do this. Did you, did you create a course? Did you, did you, you know, did you get a bunch of people in a, in a room above a pub and say, this is what I'm doing, you know, if you want me to help you, I'll, uh, I'll charge you a fee. What, what, what no, happened? no. So, so the way it started is because I just, now eventually when the more I started doing it, the more people get asking me, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm just going to, this, this concept, right? Work smart, not hard. So I wrote the, all the questions that people, the top 50 questions that people ask me, how do you find the deals? How do you negotiate the deals? How do you finance the deals? How do you find investors? And all the questions. So now people, when people would come to me, because now, because I'd, I'd be getting phone calls at night, like people like sharing my numbers and things like that. And then I, I would, I'd be spending more time speaking to them than actually working on my business. So you know what? I'll just, I'll just give you a report. Like just read this, right? Just read it, right? Because he's got all the information in there. So it saved me a lot of time. And then one day I get a phone call from a guy called Steve Foley. He said, hey, um, John, a friend of mine has just passed me your, this guy that you've, that, that you've written. Um, and I was wondering, um, you're in Manchester, we're in Manchester, we've got like a little property meet, like you, like you want to come along and do a little talk there? I said, no, I'm, I don't speak. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm public, I've got public stage fright, right? public speaking, I'm not, I've never done that before. And so he said, no, just, just come along and just bring your appointment, just read it and just share what you've asked. Okay, it's just down the road. So I drive there and it's like this massive hall, right? With like 50 chairs out, but there's like six people there. <laughs> and I'm like, this is weird. So I just took out my report and I just started reading. And at the end of it, people, oh, thank you for that. That was really, really good. One of those guys taught another guy, one of these organizers um, down in um, Berkshire. And so um, he invites me there. He says, hey, like, oh, you spoke at Steve's event. Would you, come, would you want to come speak at my event? Yeah, go on. So the other one was pretty easy. So Spencer, I drive there, the car park is full. I'm like, there must be a wedding on here or something. <laughs> so I go, I go into reception and I say, my name is John Lee, I'm, I'm a guest speaker for tonight. Um, could you tell me where it is? Oh, yes, just do this. So what, like where the wedding is? No, 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 that's the event. My face went white. And I said to just one, I said, how many people are here tonight? Oh, well, 250 people, 250 people. And so like my, my hands start sweating. You know, I'm like, I'm going to the toilet, I'm in a wee, you know, like, like, my, my, my mouth's going dry. And then I just say to, uh, say to just one, I said, okay, can, can you just like, can you just get this over and done with like really quick? You know, just bring me on, I'll just, you know, read a few things. So he introduced me, like everyone's like really excited. Everyone's like, yeah. I got, no one no, knows who I am. I stand on stage and I said, so, um, and I just like, um, wait a second. I just pulled out my report and I just started, I, I, I just started reading it. So the question that people ask me is where do you find the deal? So I just started talking and then as I started to talk, I started getting into it. I thought, that's not too bad. And at the end of it, I, I've never experienced this before. At the end of the talk, I get this standing ovation. And then at the end, as I go to leave, everyone's now crowding around me. 
asking questions. How can you do this? Can I take your number? Can I take it for coffee? Can we do this? Can we do that? Never, I felt like a celebrity. Like, wait a minute, I'm just little old John Lee from Burnley. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? And that's when I experienced positioning and experienced that, wow, like when you put your message out there, you attract the right people to you. And do you know that event that I spoke at, that's where I find all my investors now, all the builders, all the lawyers, all the accountants, all the conveyances, like literally my whole power team was created from that one event. And that's what allowed me to speedily buy a lot of deals, a lot of my investors. And then quite often people would take me for coffee and it, it would like a one big interrogation session. Oh, so how do you get the deal? Then? It's like just questions, questions, questions. Yeah. I'm like, and eventually, again, the same thing started to happen, like with the report or every, like every evening now being off for coffee. And I'm like, this is crazy. I'm not spending time with my partner at the time. And then, you know, one day I got a phone call and this guy just keeps wanting to meet, wanting to meet, wanting to say, like, I can't, I just don't have the time, right? And he said, look, I'll pay you. I'm like, no one's ever asked that before. What do you mean you'll pay me? Yeah, I'll just come to my house, like just down the road, I'll pay you, how much do you charge? I'm like, I've never charged for this before. I just said, I don't know. Um, you know, got everything on the internet, it's, like, it's got a seven on there. Yeah. I just said, I don't know, um, 997. The guy said, done. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, done. I said, that's the quickest 1,000 pound I'd ever made. Right, so I went down there and literally it was the same thing. We had coffee, piece of paper. Got your report out. I got my report asking me the same questions. He's asking the report, I said, the answers are here. But he wanted, so what I realized is that content for free, implementation for a fee, right? Content for free, free. implementation for a fee. Right, got right. It. So that's, I said, why are people paying me this money even though it's right there in front of them? Because they wanted, because people learn differently. Some people learn by seeing, some people learn by doing, some people learn by seeing and, and working with each other. So this person was more kinesthetic. They wanted to say, okay, what does that mean? So he wanted to ask me questions. Yeah. And so I thought, this is pretty good. And I went home that day and I was like, and I was calculating 1,000 pounds for one day of my time and my property that would take me a long time to produce thought, okay, this is okay cash flow, right? So as time started to go by, same thing happens. People call me trying to get hold of me. I was like, because I didn't think any of it at the time. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna not do this. Again, I'll pay you for this. It's interesting because when you don't want to do things, people want to pay you. <laughs> it's, it's very strange, isn't it? So when you don't want to do it, then again, a thousand pounds, I thought. And then people kept paying me, you know, in that year, we had over, I think 62, 65 people, something like that, pay me a thousand pounds for what, like, basically I spent like 62, 65 days of my, of that, just meeting people in the evening, like, you know, three, four hours, half a day, explaining the exact same thing that's in that, that little report. And that's how it all kind of started. Wow. So when did, I mean, how many followers have you got on social media now? What, five million is it? Or what's the numbers across it all? Six million. Six million followers across social media. So when did you, when did you connect how important social media would be mm. to building a business? When, what, what year did that happen when the, the penny dropped? Or I, I just, just go through that process for me, because I think a lot of people are intimidated by that kind yeah. of thing, you know? But when did it happen to so you? So my first actual social media platform was YouTube. 2006. So if you go back, you'll probably see my first ever videos. So newbie, like literally, I just put a camera up, bad sound, no lighting. Like I was literally holding a piece of paper, and that video was literally me just holding the, the thing, talking about this, like you know, little report. And 
someone said to me, it's like, John, you're saying the same thing over and over again. Because some, some, when I would send people the report, I said, have you read it yet? Oh, no, I haven't read it yet. Have you read it? No, I haven't read it yet. So someone told me about this thing. Hey, you can, you can film a video on your, on your you know, in the olden days, you've got this like little tapes that you can put in. Mm-hmm. And, and you can film it wasn't the VHS, it was like the little ones. I think what they called Digi, Digi yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he said, you can just film it and you can just, you know, put it, you know, put it online. And like, there's this thing called YouTube. I said, what is it? It's like a search engine for videos. I said, great. That means everything that I say to people, I can just basically record it. Because I'm almost thinking about how can I save time? Yeah, yeah. How can I systemize? How can I work smarter, not harder? So I would say, okay, I'll film the video. So now I'll say, hey, you asked me a question now. I don't want me to just send you the report. There's a video there as well. So people watch, would watch the video and then they would see the report. So as that started to, started to happen, right, I started to put more videos up there, more videos. Like, you know, maybe once a month, I would film something and I would, I would put it up there. And before long, and it didn't even have that many views, like, you know, maybe 500 views, 1,000 views. But back then, in, that, in my industry, there wasn't many people around. So I would start walking around and say, oh, I just saw your, you know, your YouTube video. Oh, I, I found, because what I didn't realize was that YouTube started to turn into a search engine. You know, like Google is a search engine, yeah. right? So people, I mean, Google now owns YouTube. Mm-hmm. So it's now become the second biggest search engine in the world. And I didn't realize that at the time. Mm-hmm. So I started putting videos up there. So I putting videos up there and probably for about two or three years, just not really getting anywhere, just, you know, I put videos there. People, yeah, I got a bit of recognition in my industry, but not like now when I walk like in Dubai and I get stuck for pictures, you know? And so as I started doing that, I realized that people actually go online to watch videos because I thought a lot of people watch TV. So then what happened? So I had a Facebook page because Facebook was also out at that time as well. And my business partner, Sense Investing, said, oh, um, we've got this. Um, company in Singapore, they've just watched one of your YouTube videos and they'd like you to fly out to talk about a book deal. I'm like, I'm, what? A bu- I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I'm not an author. Like, I'm dyslexic. I, I can't write a book. So I had all these like limiting beliefs in my head. Mm-hmm. So look, they're, they're going to pay for your fight anyway. Just go out, have some nice food. And if you don't like it, just come back. So I flew out there and I met with them and I said, and I was, I was I asked them this question. I said, I'm, I'm quite interested. I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. Why do you want me to write a book? And the, the, the company is called Wiley Publishing. So they're one of the biggest publishers in the world for business books, entrepreneur, like mindset stuff. He said, well, we watch your videos. We're fascinated with how these things are working. I mean, how you're putting things together. And, and we really would love for you to, to write a book on this. And actually what they really wanted was because I, had, I started getting a little bit of traction, right? And they knew that people would eventually want to buy a book from watching a, a piece of content. That was the real reason, right? So, uh, so we did this book deal. I got paid money to write. I was like, I got paid money to write a book that I get to sell? It was incredible. And so th- this is what happened. What was the book called? Wealth Dragon Way. Okay. My first ever published book. Not a self-published book, there's a proper book. Right? That was, and you go to the airport so you would see your book then. And it was such an amazing feeling. So I wrote the book and then I, st- I tried to sell the book, right? Because one of the things that they wanted, oh, you're on YouTube now and you're a bit on Facebook, you should be able to sell thousands of copies of your book. I didn't, right? I, I got this because, because what I realized, I thought, if I buy this book, right? Also, if, if, if I want to sell this book and I go over the publisher, then surely people are going to buy the book, right? No, that is like complete myth. You have to do all the work. 
Mm -hmm. So I tried to figure out ways to, to sell this. I'm like, I've got this book, like how do I sell this book? And I was like, okay, I'll make a few posts on social media and you know, my friends would buy the book to support me. You know, I put a few videos on, on YouTube and you know, it would, it would do okay. We sell a few copies of the book. Um, but it wasn't, I wasn't getting millions of sales. It's not like, you know, New York Times best-selling book. So then I started doing research. Okay, how do people sell books? So typically they'll go on a podcast, they'll go on a TV show, they will, um, you know, do a celebrity endorsements, but I'm a nobody, like, you know, no one knows who I am. No, no one knows who I am. So I started to research the power of marketing, right? And what I realized is that you have to do unorthodox ways of marketing basically guerrilla marketing, right? So what a guerrilla, how can I get a lot of exposure for free? That's when I turned to Facebook, mm -hmm. right? And you know what I realized is that people buy a book, but not many people read a book, Agreed. right? They, they buy a book, it's supposed to be self-development, and they put it on the shelf, it becomes self-development, right? So they're not, really, they're not really consuming the book, and yet the wisdom that's in the book is based on, 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 on pearls of wisdom. It's, it's things that have actually worked and done. So I thought, you know what? I'm gonna take parts of the book and I'm gonna turn it into a video, right? So I start putting these videos on YouTube, right? And I start putting these videos on like, you know, basically I would like take parts of the book and I would teach it. I would, I would literally educate, literally the whole book is in video format basically. Right. Right, so and I put them online on, on, on YouTube and, and so I said, look, why don't you just take your videos and put them on Facebook at the same time? I said, oh my God, I didn't think of that. Right, so of course, duh, of course, right? And it's free traffic. And at the time, Facebook was crazy for organic. You, you put a video, you had 5,000 views, like immediately. You know, so I started putting things onto Facebook. And then slowly but surely, my, my, I started getting people, I got all these friend requests. And within about three months, I had 5,000 friend requests. And that was the max, wasn't it? That was max. Yeah. Like, you couldn't do anything after that. Like, I couldn't accept any more friends. So obviously, like I have the max, and then you know, people would speak to me. I saw your video. Where can I buy your book? And I'd be manually sending people the link to go and buy the book. <laughs> you know what happened? And and actually, I saw my and Peng. Peng doesn't know this because Peng and I are really good friends now. But I saw that he had also maxed out. So I tried to send him a friend request, and it was it was maxed out. And I saw, and I and I saw that he said he put a thing on his page saying, "I no longer accept friend requests. Click here to to add me on my." It was, uh, back then they called them fan pages, Yeah, yeah. right? Fan pages, or now they're called public pages. And so I thought, okay, let's create a public page. So I create a public page and said, I'd said the same thing and I just, and people started joining this page. And, what, what, and, the, and the good thing about having a page is you can have unlimited people following you. Yeah. So within a year, I got up to 50,000 people following me. Wow. Right? And I started putting all this content out there. And, th and then I started serving my audience. I started doing these Facebook lives and people kept asking. The number one question is, how do you become a millionaire? How do you become a millionaire? How do you become a millionaire? So I started reading a lot of books on this stuff. And then there was one book that came across called The 10 Habits of Self-Made Millionaires. I thought, wow, that's an amazing book. Maybe people shouldn't read my book and read that book. So I, so I created a video on it. You know, till today, that video hit 10 million views, 65,000 people liked it. 4,000 comments and 44,000 people had shared that video. Wow. That's when, I, that's when I got, oh my God. And then my follower count jumped from like 50,000 to half a million people, like, like in a very short space of time. And the more I started putting content, so now I had momentum, right? And then it soon it went to 700, 800, over a million, right? And it started doing that. And then people started saying, hey, you should do this um, Instagram stuff. What's Instagram? Oh, it's a picture thing. You take selfies and you post. I don't want to take selfies of myself. Said, why don't you take a little bit of your videos and put it up there? Uh huh. 
Maybe I should do that. So then I started to take my videos from that take because at the time you can only put one like one minute video, so I would take like snippets of it and put it up there. Or I'd take a quote from that video and I'd put it up there, or maybe like if I'm, you know, filming a video with the location, so I'd mix it up. And at that time I didn't figure out Instagram because the algorithm was I mean I didn't figure it out back then. But then that started to slowly grow a thousand followers, two thousand. I thought, hold on a second, like a lot of my book sales are coming from my social media. And that's when it clicked. The more followers you have, the more so this now my new formula is awareness times attention equals income. Awareness means that people need to see you. Mm-hmm. Attention, they need to consume you. That's why podcasts are amazing. Mm-hmm. And the income comes from people consuming your content. They connect, they like what you do. They inquire about what you do. And isn't it true that we go shopping, we had no intention of buying anything, but we come home with bags of shopping mm-hmm. every time. That's when it clicked. And so what year was that? <sighs> that was 2015. 2015, yeah. so we're now, what, six, nearly seven years down the road. Yeah. And so, but, but I've been using social media way below that. Yeah. Like, probably for 15 but that, years but now. that's when you went... That's when it popped. Like, all of a sudden, the 2000, right, that everything's got to go in this direction. Yeah. And it's interesting, because if I track the amount of followers I get, if I look at, if I track the growth curve on my followers versus my income curve, it is almost, it, it's almost identical. Really? Yeah. So typical hockey stick type of look. Yeah, because it takes it takes time. It's not like a, you know, it, it does like it, it for a long for a lot of people. I tell you the problem people do in social media, they will spend they will make posts. I'm not getting any views. I'm not getting any of this. But what they don't realize is the incubation period. It's like a turbo lag. You have a turbo car. You put your foot down, and the power doesn't execute until seconds later. But with socials, it's like that. See, right now, so someone said to me yesterday, so I was, I was I run a conference here, and someone said to me, oh, John, should I only promote my Instagram page if I've got content on there, or should I just promote it first without content? I said, well, that's a catch-22 question, isn't it? Like, no one's gonna come to your page if you don't have content on there. So you have to create content first in order for people to come to see you. Yeah. And you might only have one like on there or no likes on there. But eventually, when it builds up, you now have a catalog of content on there. So but what are the big mistakes that people make nowadays on social media? I mean, uh, I don't know, uh, t- take me as an example. You know, I've been producing content for I think five or six years, yeah, five or six years now. Mm. I produce content that, that, that I believe is valuable to me. Mm. I also produce content that a social media team that tell me to produce, which mm. I don't always agree with, but I do as mm. I'm told. Mm. And I've been through six agencies over those years. and. What, what I do have is a, an engaged audience. It's yeah. not a big audience, mm. but it's an engaged audience. Mm. So I know that if I talk to my audience about anything, I know that I get lots of feedback and you know, questions and stuff like that. So I know it's engaged. But what, what does someone like me do wrong? Is it, is it because I'm 51 years old? And you that, don't look that, it. That, <laughs> I'm saying this. What's your secret? <laughs> and, and, that, and that works against me. There's it, it, some certain ingredients that people that build big followings have that mm. other people don't. And some of them aren't strategy, but they're, they're indirect benefits. Okay, so there's two things to this. Number one, people, the, only, the only type of content people watch online is either entertainment or education. Now, if I ask someone to go to a business conference versus going to see Lion King or Phantom of the Opera, which one do you think most people would choose? Mm, Phantom of the Opera. Exactly, yeah. right? So you have to understand that concept. Am I going to see Phantom? Am I going to see a business conference? But there's a different motivation behind it. So, for example, even in my industry, even 6 million followers is not that. I mean, like, you know, I, my friends have got, like, you know, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million followers. But it's not about... <laughs> 
there's a threshold at which your intention is doing this. Like, why are you even building that following in the first place? Are you building the following because you want brand? Because you want sponsorship deals? Because you want to promote your own business? Just because you want to do what you love to do. And quite often I find it is with, with the latter, right? So the latter will always grow slower, always. Because what you're doing is you are educating your audience, not building the audience. There's a big difference there. Attention, so for example, um, I have a lot of friends who have millions of followers mm -hmm. and they can't even sell 10 t-shirts. Really? Yeah. And yeah. they're, uh, you, and they're you, real followers? Real, you'd be shocked, right? So a friend of mine was telling me, she was working for one of these big, big agencies. And if I name the ones, you'll know which they are, that they're huge. And she'd be the one working with these agents, paying do these, what we call influencer deals, right? So they pay their money, they make a post. And they say, John, when, when we track, you know, these people like half a million, a million, they can't even make one sale. Do you know why? because the audience is not following them for that thing they're selling, right? So let's take your channel, for example. People follow you, you can have CEOs watching the channel, business owners, entrepreneurs, investors. That's why the things that you were telling me before, that's why you're starting now to get the results that you're getting because of your podcast, because of your social. And it doesn't have to be big. It only takes one person to come along and say, hey, here's a big investment for that. Or hey, here's a keynote fee for this doesn't take much, like one of that makes a massive difference. So that's when I started to realize it's not about how many followers you get, it's about how you are educating and growing your market and your audience at the same time. That's why one thing I'd always ask people to do is always do Instagram lives. Now, a little hack you can do with that now is that when you go live on Instagram, you actually make a post, right, whilst you're going live, because you get one notification sent out when you go live. But if you make a post simultaneously while you're live, and it says, I'm live, they can now click on your face and go straight into your live. So you get double the amount of audience that come in, oh, right? Okay. So when you're live, you can also answer questions. So at least once a week, there should be an Instagram live. Like a right? Q&A? Not just Q&A, like- It's some value in some way. Values, add value. And the good thing about that is you can record it, download it, you put that into a membership area, oh, right? So, so now people can pay for the recordings. And now with Instagram, you have subscriptions. So people can now pay to money every single month, like $1 to $99 to watch your Instagram live. So now people, creators now, create income from doing that. So that's why, you know, like, I mean, you've got different types of people on, online. Like for us, we're entrepreneurs, we're educators. But you also have the lifestyle bloggers, the travel bloggers. You know, take nice pictures of themselves or take nice pictures of locations and that's fine. But that business model is more of a sponsorship model. My wife's personal trainer, okay, looks a million dollars, okay, on social media, like literally a million dollars. and. She was talking to me about the engagement that she has. And so I, I, I and, and again, I asked her, do you know who's, who's following you? Do you know between men and women who's following you? She goes, yeah, it's 80% men, you know? And I'm like, well, okay, fair enough it is. I'm like, why do you think if 80% of your followers, and it was, she had about 300,000, 80% of your followers are men, why are you trying to sell suntan lotion, body lotion, face creams, and swimwear? Mm. What do you think you should be selling them? And she's like, well, I don't know. I said, I'd start with Viagra. <laughs> and then, okay, the, re the reason I, I said that is that if the audience is men, try and sell something that the men would want to buy. Well, you know, just, you know it's, it's interesting because there are lots of apps now where, that allow people to do the same thing on Instagram, but on another, I'm not, I won't name the app, but literally if she's posting pictures and doing all that stuff, there are, and then the new, this new thing that's come out, you can put the same pictures the exact same pictures that you post on Instagram in another app and now you get paid a subscription for it. It's Crazy. insane. And you know what people are doing? They're making, they're getting like thousands of people 
paying money just to look at their pictures. You mean OnlyFans? Correct. Okay. You yeah. So OnlyFans. Yeah. But, but 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 it's not just for that now. It started to evolve into other things. So is there people on OnlyFans that are making money out of stuff that isn't sexual? Yes, of course. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Give me an example. So celebrities answering questions. Okay. Right. So hey, I can you know if your celebrity comes on, like it's very hard to get a celebrity to answer questions, isn't it? Right. But if a celebrity comes on, and I can, let's say I can ask this A-list celebrity a question about their personal life, or this A-list celebrity a question about how they work out, or this A-list celebrity, let's say they're an actor, and I'm I'm an a, a aspiring actor yeah. or an actress, and I say, hey, how did you get into the industry? Yeah. They're doing that now. You probably heard of another app, which again, I want, I don't want to name. Uh, names. Same, it's fine. Cameo. Cameo, yes. Right. Same thing, right? I know Cameo. So, so they, people they, pay fifty quid or one hundred and fifty quid. Say, and they get say hello. Yeah, happy birthday. Right. Correct. So you start to see this evolution of things that that you know that that that, that where creators now and people who are passionate about what they do can now be monetized. Tell me that you said this at dinner the other night. T- tell me for the benefit of the audience. What the difference between following and community is? Okay. That was really that really kind of resonated with me as you said it. Yeah. So followers are just followers, right? Followers follow you for free, right? So they they like what you do. It's kind of like I'm interested. Yeah, you've got something important to say. Community is like, oh, like I call these hardcore fans. There's this concept called one thousand true fans, right? You only really need one thousand true fans to you know create a seven figure company, right? That that's really all you need. Right? But a lot of people can't create it. For example, you and I was talking about this other day, you've got people who can, for example, like, let's say you've got someone who's got millions of followers, right? If you say to them, I'm gonna be in this location at this time, watch how many people show up, right? And then you've got someone else who's got less to following, say, I'm gonna be in this location at this time, come and meet me, see how many people show up. And you'll see how, how qualified your community is. So. You, now you start to see an evolution of people who are free followers versus now paid followers, which is why people like Facebook have created support platforms so people have to pay money to follow you now. So when people pay, they pay attention. When they pay, they pay attention. Mm. So community now is where the industry started to move into now, especially with the likes of NFTs. You want to have a strong NFT drop, you need a community. You can't do it without a community. Very hard to do without a community. Mm. Alex the other day his friend did an NFT drop his first yeah. one and yeah. he earned $900,000 in 30 minutes all about the community all about the community all about because it. look the community they follow you they trust you they like you they know what you stand for and they'll just buy it because they want to support you right they'll buy it because they, you've added so much value to, you know, to, to their lives and when you, when you consider the, the size of your audience and the impact you've had on so many people mm. that means it's almost like you can't fail because even a small percentage of them that become part of, I mean, from six million, mm. it, even if it was 600,000 or 60,000, it's still a huge amount of people that are paying for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not all, not all six million pay. No, but, no, but, but if, yeah. if 60,000 might or 600,000 might, that's still 10, 1% or 10%. I mean, you can create, a, for example, like just one of the business I started, and I told you about this, you know, that's, that's already created 14,000 customers from one social media platform that was zero marketing spend, and that's recurring. So, at like, it, it, this is possible if you add enough value, if you spend enough time. Why, 
Okay, so when, 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 when lockdown happened a couple of years ago, yeah. all right, this thing called Clubhouse started. Yeah. And I, I was here in Dubai, and so a lot of the people in Clubhouse, it was kind of like lunchtime-ish for me when people were coming, because it was like eight or nine o'clock in the morning, you'd yeah. get them. And I was like, oh, I've got to get on this Clubhouse thing, people are talking about it. And so I joined this Clubhouse thing. Um, had to have a VPN here to be able to do it, because you, you, know, you couldn't have it, it wasn't loud, all this kind of nonsense. And you were on there every single time I went on. Now, I didn't stay on all of those platforms for, for very long. You know, I might be 30 minutes of time and whatnot, but every single time you were there, and I don't think people understand the amount of work and dedication that goes in mm. for you when you build these platforms out. It's not like you're, you're robbing from one platform and putting to another. It's, you're putting in the legwork in, you know, mm. you're putting the time in over and yeah. over and over again. For me, Okay, I think, where does he get that from? Where does he get the energy to keep going? But obviously you can see the outcome. Yeah. And so you know that the, the, the effort that you're putting in is worth it. Mm. I think a lot of people can't. Mm. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna go on to Clubhouse for six hours a day and I'm gonna build this room and whatnot. What's it yeah. gonna to lead to? Um, good examples of that, okay, are actually the Winners Club. Okay. Okay, they've got a beautiful studio yeah. in East London. Okay, yeah. you go in there, it's lovely, it's all set up nice. Yeah. You know, there's about 200 people on every time they're on in the morning. Yeah. Um, the, the guys work hard and do a good job. But they haven't, from what I've seen, they haven't yet mastered how, how to monetize that. Mm. And they're, you know, a couple of years into doing that every single morning. Yeah. Most people don't know how to monetize stuff. Most people don't understand how they can get to that point. Mm. Tell me about perseverance. Okay, and, 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 and what's required to really get somewhere? So, even till today, even till like a few days ago, I was still on Clubhouse, right? <laughs> because, look, here's the thing. Well, first of all, and I, I wanted to use Clubhouse to show people that actually, it doesn't matter what platform you're on, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, because the excuse people kept giving me is, yeah, but John, you're already famous now. People yeah. know you, you're already verified. Literally, I was a guy who added me on this, and he goes, oh my God, you're verified. I'm like, that's not a big deal, you know? It's just consistency of it. The, the key here is that because I grew an audience, I grew like my, my current following, I think I'm one of the top followed 100 people on Clubhouse in the world right now. I, I built up to like 420,000 people, um, and plus my club, my members of my club, is around 220,000, around about that. So it's almost like 600,000 plus in one year. In one year. Why? Perseverance, consistency. Now, did I want to do a clubhouse room every day? No, of course not. Right? Do I want to spend hours on there? No, because at the start, I was spending 20, pretty much 20 hours a day on there when it first started. Literally, I'd be like, ah, like I've gone on. But then as time goes on, I said, ah, this is not sustainable. So then I thought, again, how do you work smart? So what I realized on Clubhouse is the longer you run a room, the more people that come. So my rooms get about 5,000 people that come in, roughly, on, on per session. New people and some of the same people. And I, thought, and I realized the longer you run a room, the more exposure you get for free. Now, bear in mind, I still spend millions of dollars on marketing. So I know that if I run, a, say, an online presentation, online conference, right, I know how much it costs me. So for one lead, it's about 30 pounds per lead for one person to come in. But if you use Clubhouse, you have one person that comes in, it doesn't cost you anything. So, but if you're running both at the same time, you get double the amount of exposure. And the interesting thing is, I thought to myself, well, then you have to ask yourself smarter questions. How can you run a room longer without you physically having to be there? That's where we came this concept of the UK Mod Squad, right? So myself, Rob, Ed, 
Ryan, Charlotte, you know, Emily, Cornelia, Diamond, like all these people who are part of our squad, we basically have a rotor. So actually I'm on there for about probably four hours, but I'm not really there for four hours. I'm only really there for 30 minutes. Everyone's got 30 minutes in a day, Yeah. right? So work smart. So um, I say, okay, um, Ed, I'm gonna go live at this time. Okay, so then I go on and you know, I do my, my, my talk. And at the end of it, I say, hey, if you wanna learn more, I put a link to the top, you can click on that. And if you like what I have to say, you can join me at the next level. That's it, really, right? And so you have, cause you have so much volume coming through, like a certain percentage of those people will always continue to work with you, right? So I just, I feel that works. It keeps working over and over again. And by collaborating with those other people in the mod squad, essentially you're utilizing their audiences too, because Correct. they're bringing their audiences in and Correct. You're, you're essentially sharing because you're all bringing value to a Correct. bigger group. Yeah? Right, because what happens is the mod squad, when we don't run our rooms, they all run their own rooms, right? So they all pick up their own audience and my, myself included. So when we join, it's a collaborative effort. And you know, Ed said to me one day, he said, John, you know, we need to start doing more collaborations. And I was like, a bit weird. But honestly, Clubhouse taught me about collaboration really is domination. Like you open the app, bang, our room is, is like in the top five, you know? And so we've really owned that space. If you type in entrepreneur, my club comes up number one in the whole of Clubhouse, right? And so people say, well, John, isn't Clubhouse dead? Now, actually, no. You know, people are still using it. It's not as busy as it used to be, but the people that use it are hardcore. They're like hardcore fans. It's like it's got its own community. Yeah, there's people that like to go walking their dogs in the morning and have it in their ears, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's the great thing about it. Like, you know, like it's so interesting thing. Before Clubhouse came out, seventy percent of my content used to be video. Now it's switched the other way around. Seventy percent is audio. Yes. Really. Yes. And that's for the first time ever, I have a podcast now. Right? I never had podcasts. I've got millions of followers, but I never had a podcast. So you know what I do now when you're on Clubhouse? You talk on Clubhouse. You pin a little Olympus LSP4 sound recorder to your here, you speak, and now you're recording the audio at the same time. Yeah, you send that to an editor, and now it becomes a podcast. Mm -hmm. So now I'm, I'm, I'm doing it anyway, I may as well do that. Yeah. Then they cut that into an audiogram and put that online. You can do that as well. And now you've got Facebook audio room, Twitter spaces, LinkedIn audio room, Amazon audio rooms now. So you've, you've got all these apps that have come out. So you know what I've done? I basically have got like five phones. So when I go live, I just have a tripod, like a little bit like, you know, like a mic. Just have a tripod, 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 five. I've got live, 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 and I just speak. I'm syndicating all platforms and podcasts at the same time. So if we talk about the future of John, yeah. okay, and how he's gonna help people moving forward, People are gonna, uh, you're doing a course here at the moment, for goodness sake, so yeah. people are probably asking you, what's the future of social media? You know, what can we learn? Where should we be going? Where should we be putting our time now? Yeah. You know, Clubhouse was that thing for a while. Mm. When you look forward, what do you think you're identifying and, and, and what you're gonna be teaching over the course of the next six, 12, 18 months as to what people should do maybe to upgrade what they've been doing from mm. before? Good question. So I think the first five years of social really people kind of only got into it recently, right? Meaning that, okay, they can see, so I mean like, you know, when my time, you know, if we wanna, our aspirations was to go to school, get a job, become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. That's the Asian industry, right? Um, but if I ask my, my daughter, if I ask my niece or my cousin, hey, what do you wanna be when you grow up? I wanna become a YouTuber. I wanna become an influencer, right? It's like the younger generation. Or I, was, I met this guy, so I was just speaking at a big keynote here, and you know, one of the sons was backstage, and the same as Miles, you know, what do you, oh, I play games, I want to do gaming. I'm like, wow, it's interesting to see how people's perceptions are changing. And now with the lockdown, 
you know, you had this great resignation that just happened in the, in the US. People have been locked down for so long, they're working from home, so they now find different side hustles to supplement the income. They go back to an office, they're like, I don't want to work here anymore for eight hours a day. So people are now taking, I've got friends that are taking, they're asking for a pay cut so they can spend more time at home to do a side hustle. So the evolution of what seems happening now is the evolution of a solopreneur. It's not having big companies now, right? Like you can have one staff with one business model and make a million dollars a year with no overhead, almost no overhead. Profit margins are insane. So I'm starting to see this whole growth of um, not the influencer, but the key opinion leader. The KOLs. These key the, opinion leader, okay. Yeah. The okay. key opinion I've not heard that. The growth of the key the key opinion leaders are now will start. I mean, look at the likes of the Logan Pauls. Look at the likes of um, uh, Mr. Beasts. I mean, they're, they're not influencers now. They are key opinion leaders. If they say something, the market will listen. Mm -hmm. If Mr. Beast says, go and buy my Beast Burger, it gets 14,000 franchises or something crazy like that just launched out of thin air. Mm -hmm. You know, it's chocolate bar, chocolate, chocolate factory, chocolate bars, sell millions of these chocolate bars because it's now got an opinion that people listen to. This is the power of community. This is what's happening. So, you know, one of the things that I talk about now is how do we take our social media presence and then how do we turn that into something that will pay you a living, that will, that will take care of you and your family? And then how do we take that income and put it into investments that can multiply? Because yes, you can make the, you know, you and I were talking about this today. You have active income, trade time for money. You have recurring income where you have to put a little bit of work in and you, you make money. You have completely passive income, which you're a master at. You've got a lot of things like that where people can put money things into and they can get an ROI. And then the last one, you know, you've got leveraged income. How do I put my money? Like if you put your money into Tesla, just in 2020, like, and you cashed out now, like you could, it, the, even five years ago, 70,000 into a Tesla car, would be worth half the price now. But 70,000 in Tesla stock would be worth or probably over seven figures now, mm -hmm. right? Depending on what the current share price is. But you get my point. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can't 10X your income by always working for it. There's a limited amount of time. So that's why you have to choose. Do you want a lifestyle business? And this is what I start to see happening. If you ask me what I'm looking forward to, a lot of people are now going for a lifestyle business rather than a massive empire. Right? Because would you rather make 10 million and be super stressed and be overweight and be, have no time? Or would you rather make 1 million and have all the time in the world? Yeah, yeah. And that's where people, people are starting to think about, yeah. Okay. And as we look forward to 2022 with you, um, there are, your, this paid audience that you have, what do you bring to them that's different to what you bring to your social audiences? Right, so if you check my, so a lot of people <laughs> listening to me are probably checking my YouTube channel. Yeah. And they'll probably see that, John, you haven't uploaded a video for like over a year now. Why? You're telling people to do this content. So I always say, do as I say, not as I do, <laughs> right? Because I already have the audience. So my, my second level now is not having followers. I want super followers. Uh, super followers are people that are willing to put a little bit of skin in the game. And then who, why? Because all the content I teach has been proven, tried and tested. So I only want people to do it, to be able to implement it. I know when they implement it, they'll start getting results. And you know this, when you give things for free, people don't always value it. Mm -hmm. So now the next phase of my JL brand is to, to move my audience into a community um, where they can actually consume my content. Right? So would that be Discord, Reddit, uh, uh, Telegram? W where would that community be? Um, so I have a I have a private membership area. Yeah. Right. Upload content every single week. 
So any thoughts I have, I don't pre-film the content. Like for example, if I have, if I test something out, for example, let's say a new out, so a new strategy you can use on Instagram currently at the time of recording this um, is a one second video. So if you check my one second video that I just put up. A one second video? A one, sec a one second video, like look. Like, Are you kidding me? No, 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 look, check. Look. Actually one second? A one second video, look, 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 right. Look at, look at that, look, look at the views on that. That's an image though. Yeah, but it's a video. Ah. Ah, right. Look how, many, look how many people it's reached. Look, look how many people have liked the post. 354,000, 20,000 likes, 234 comments. Stay and safe by 1,790. Accounts reached 439, mental. Right, so that's a little hack. So when I figure stuff out, because like, the algorithm was dying, I was like, how come I put a post and no one's liking it? So I need to find a way to hack the algorithm to get exposure. Like things like using things like um, um, automated chats. So the more DMs you get that's replied to, the more interaction happens, it lifts your whole engagement. So when I figure out stuff like that, I go, you know, that's a good thing for my audience. Let me put that into a video and I only want to give it to people who pay because I know that they'll implement it. So the automated chats of the chat bot, yeah, you were telling me about this the other night. I'm fascinated by this. So like, for example, if people are listening to this and they screen grab this and they tag you and me in the post, right? Watch what happens. There's something that happens but it could only happen with the thing that I'm using. So like literally they'll, they'll, they'll be watching this, they'll tag, you know, at John underscore Lindsay official with the blue I'm verified. And then they'll tag, you know, at Spencer Lodge podcast. So, you know, your, your profile. And when they tag us both, I can basically program anyone that tags me and you will get an e will, will get a DM sent to them automatically without me physically having to do anything with a gift, for example. Mm -hmm. So you can automate, you can, the new thing with Instagram now is gamification. Right? Don't buy fake followers, don't buy engagement. Like, they don't buy from you. What's the point in building a, a bot audience that don't buy from you, mm. right? It's just what for show, okay, but it, what's the point? Do you get lots of people creating fake accounts? Loads. And that, okay, so I get a lot of that. Right. And, that and they go out to my, to my audience, they connect with my audience. And try and sell them and stuff. And try and sell them stuff. Okay, yeah. so use that, collect all that, send it to Facebook and you'll get verified. I'm, I am Facebook verified. Okay. On Instagram, I'm not. Right. I send it to Instagram. It doesn't seem to work. Okay. But I'm getting a new one of those twice a week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, because... I contacted one of them. Yeah. I found out where they were. Okay. So it was a guy, because I, I grew up in Nigeria. Yeah. And so I said, where are you? He said, I'm in Nigeria. I'm like, where exactly? And he said, Inugu. I'm like, I know Inugu. I know exactly yeah. where that is, that town. I'm like, why are you doing it? Yeah. He's like, I, I don't eat. I've got nothing to eat. Yeah. This is a way for me to try and make a living. Right. So please forgive me, but I'm not going to stop. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. Crazy. It's crazy. But if they put that much effort into actually educating themselves, it just it, it blows my mind. Like, why don't people just put the same amount of effort? Like, you know the trolls? There's a lot of trolls out there. If you spend in the same amount of effort and energy on yourself to do something better and great, like, you'd be so much further in life. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. John, I love talking to you. I mean, literally every minute I spend with you, I'm learning, it's valuable, it's fun, and you're a really gracious chap. So thank you so much for coming to join us on the show today. It's a pleasure. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Well, there we go. An interesting chat with a guy that I've known and, as you can see, is a friend of mine, but has built such a huge social media following and has been so successful in business, but came from such humble beginnings. Worked cleaning the walks and washing up in mum and dad's Chinese takeaway. Then got a job, worked, didn't really earn much money, was dyslexic, had all these challenges, but he had a growth mindset. He wanted to learn, he wanted to be successful, and he wanted to find the path to get there. For him, it started off with real estate, now it's social media, but for goodness sake, he's done so much. 
Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If you're listening to it on iTunes, then please leave me a five-star rating. I keep telling you that. I know it just drives you mad, but it really does mean a lot. And if you're listening to this on any other podcasting platform, show me some love. Let me know what you think of the show. Give me some feedback. Tell me what you don't like about the show as well. Anything that you can provide that can help me make better content for you will always be important.